0: Hi, friends, and welcome to Live Well with Emily, a podcast where we talk about all things yoga, Ayurveda, mindful living, and holistic wellness. My goal is to inspire and empower you to connect more deeply with yourself and the world around you so that you can live a happier, healthier, more peaceful life. Thanks for being here. Let's jump in. Okay, so. Um, Okay, so first of all, hi. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Um, So I wanted to take a moment just to, like, explain maybe. So Kate is on the podcast today. She's a Montessori teacher. She is actually... She's also... She practices um, Mysore with Sean at our house, and that's how I met her. And you met Sean at Pulse, is that right? Yoga Pulse, yeah. Okay, so yeah, at a yoga studio where he was teaching, and then he... I don't know how it happened, but apparently now you practice with us at our home, so.
1: (laughs) Yes, I just overheard the word Mysore, and I said, ooh, what's that? That's funny. My curiosity led me here.
0: (laughs) That's wonderful.
1: Yeah, so, um, and so
0: then, as Kate was, like, practicing here, I have, you know, when I had Connor, I started reading all of the Montessori books, um, and I was really interested in either homeschooling Connor or taking him to a Montessori program, or I was also looking into Waldorf and stuff, and then Sean was like, oh, hey, I have a student at our house right now who's a Montessori teacher. I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And so, and then I, you know, reached out to you later, and I was like, hey, like, you know, you teach Montessori. Where do you teach? And she was like, it's like five minutes from your house. (laughs) And I was like, great, how much does it cost? And this Montessori program is super cool because it was only – it's only $400 a month for me to take Connor there right now as a preschooler. And then he is, you know, free later on. And that is the cheapest Montessori program I've ever heard of. Like usually it's anywhere from 800 to like $1,400 a month. So the fact that it was so cheap and it was so close to the house and I knew a teacher who was already teaching there, it just felt like it was meant to be and so I enrolled him and now that's where he's going i have obviously been talking about that recently on the podcast and so Kate is not um, Connor's teacher as of right now because what grades do you teach Fourth, fifth, and sixth. Okay. So so, ages nine through 11, 12-ish. Right. And so Connor is four right now. So maybe eventually you'll have him. I love that. That would be amazing. Um, But right now he's with someone else. But it's really helpful that you're like there and he knows you. And it's just been a fairly overall a pretty smooth transition, all things considered anyway. So, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily know what Montessori is or have you know, they maybe have some sort of vague idea of what Montessori is. So maybe could you just start with talking about what it is and like, how does it work?
1: Sure. So Montessori is a method of education based on self-directed activity, hands-on learning and collaborative play. Um, Children in a Montessori learning environment make creative choices in their learning while the environment and the teacher guide that process. So it is child-led. Some of you may be familiar with that term, if you're parents or educators. Um, Children work in groups and or individually to discover and explore knowledge of the world and really to develop their maximum potential. Um, Montessori classrooms are beautifully designed to meet the needs of children in a specific age range. Dr. Maria Montessori found that through experiential learning in this type of classroom, it led to a deeper understanding of the subjects. So every material mm-hmm. in a Montessori classroom supports an aspect of child development. Um, it matches the child's natural interest with the available activities. So this is where they build this solid foundation for lifelong learning. Really. Cool. Yeah. yeah.
0: I love that. And so far, like... It's only been two weeks, and like we were talking about before, like I, I can already tell this difference in Connor with just the way that he interacts with like his environment at our house now, which is really cool too. So, Dr. Maria Montessori,
1: um, who was she? What, what exactly did she do? So Maria Montessori grew up um, in a household where her father was in finances, and um, he kind of made it big in his field. And mom was in education, in some form of education. Um, And so it was a very educated household, so school was very much so a part of her life. Mm -hmm. Um, She was an Italian physician, educator, innovator, author, published author. She's... um, A lot. (laughs) She opened up the first Montessori school, sorry, um, which was called Casa dei Bambini, or Children's House, in Rome in 1907. Um, She was born on August 31st, which makes her a Virgo. And (laughs) Virgos are a certain personality. Like, they, I mean, things are in order and it is organized. So um, that fits in with with what she did. At age 13, she entered an all-boys technical um, institute to prepare for an engineering career which was mm. huge because she was the only girl. Right. Um, when she decided she wanted to become a doctor, she applied to the medical school in Rome, University of Rome, and she was rejected. Um, but she stayed persistent. So Montessori took course, Dr. Montessori took courses to help prepare her for medical school. She applied again and again and was finally admitted. And so this really opened the door for uh, future women in the field. Her early medical practice focused on psychiatry and developed an interest in, she naturally developed an interest in education, which led her studies into educational theory and pedagogy. Um, Her studies led to observations of children who had intellectual and developmental disabilities. So in that institute, she was promoted to co-director and then trained new special education teachers. Hmm, Okay. So, um... She approached teaching children with disabilities very scientifically, and observation was a big part of that process, experimenting to learn which methods work best with them. So in 1907 was when Maria Montessori opened the full child daycare center in San Lorenzo, and San Lorenzo was a very poor inner city part of Rome. And was it for um, children with disabilities? It
0: was okay.
1: Yeah, okay. these the children at this particular school and in that area were sort of left to their own devices. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were orphaned, but all of them had intellectual and um, learning disabilities. So really, and it was ages three to seven mm-hmm. in this at this particular time. Um, so that's that's who she was. She's written a lot of books, and she has yeah. yeah and they're great too like I loved that
0: she has some that were really helpful for when Connor like was a baby and I was able to just sort of try to start introducing these principles into his you know just whole his environment from the very beginning yeah um, as much as I could obviously it wasn't perfect at it <laughs> but okay so then what is like the main goal or the um, philosophy of a Montessori program like is it sort of academic excellence or since it started as, you know, this sort of school for disabled children, was it to get them on par with, you know, quote-unquote uh,
1: regular... <laughs> right, like the norm right. of, or yeah. typically, we I mean, it is typically yeah. developing children. There you go. So when Maria Montessori first started this school and she had these children, they were unruly and it was like this, it was, it was sort of chaos. Mm-hmm. But through her observation and observation is very necessary in a classroom at like as the role of the teacher the guide to watch how children interact with the environment and how they interact with other beings in the environment because by doing that she then does she designed these materials these learning materials she did so um she thought oh this child moves this way so we're going to design this material so it could be towards their it was she followed the child Mm -hmm. so it could be towards their natural curiosity so they'll find it interesting and want to continue learning
0: yeah
1: um so yeah after a while I would say they did sort of measure up to kind of a typically developing child in how they behaved and interacted in the environment Mm -hmm. because then there was the integration of typically developing children with children with learning disabilities right because now it's not
0: like only people only children with you know, some sort of learning disability can go to Montessori. It's open to everyone.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So I find it funny, just a little side note. I do find it funny when I hear some Montessori teachers, um, talking about children with IEPs and children who have special needs and how, you know, it, it tends to throw the environment off when it's really actually Maria Montessori started with these children. Right. Yeah. So, um, so the philosophy of a Montessori program, um, I'd say that the main tenets or the, I would I would kind of say it's around f- these five principles. So number one is respect for the child. That is huge. And I know that sounds like, oh, of course we respect children, but it's, <laughs> it's really uh, more intentional. Uh, one way res- respect is shown to the children is by not interrupting their concentration. So... Freedom is given to the children, allowing them to make choices in their learning and for the children to do things themselves. So when I say respect by not interrupting their concentration, if a child is working on something, OK, for example, they're writing okay, and you say you're, you have a plan for the day as the guide, you have your lesson plan right now. And now it is that time. To call the child to lesson. But that child is deep into their work. You do not interrupt that child and break that concentration. Mm -hmm. That's major. You work around the child. It is you follow the child. That's constantly a reoccurring theme, and it's very true. So I would say as a teacher, okay, that child is concentrated in their writing. Great. I'm going to just put them on into another group, or next week they'll learn this concept. No problem. Cool. Um, So respecting the child Number two is The Absorbent Mind, which this is also the title of one of Maria Montessori's books. Mm -hmm. Um, Children are learning simply by living in the world around them. Through their senses, um, children are constantly absorbing information around them. We just may not know what they're doing with that information in that moment. Example, I was in an elementary classroom last year working as an assistant. And, you know, the guide was just drilling these children about how to... um, take notes during a lesson so she Mm. used history as a whole group lesson she would give a powerpoint presentation and she would kind of be guiding them and teaching them how to take notes and it didn't seem like it was clicking it's like the children didn't it was like speaking a foreign language (laughs) but then this year they came back and she started history and boom they had their i mean Mm -hmm. they knew how to take notes so the whole it took them a whole year Mm -hmm. and we didn't think it would stick but that information they it really stuck with them interesting Uh, Three, I would say principle three is sensitive periods. So Montessori pedagogy believes that there are certain periods of time in which children are more ready to learn certain skills. Um, These periods last as long as it is necessary for the child to acquire these skills. There's no timeline for a child. Or is there like an
0: age, like oh, now you're here, so this is what you're
1: going to be best at learning? Yeah, like for example, the primary age group is ages three to six, and that's the primary classroom. Now, towards the end of time in primary, um, children are transitioning to go into the elementary classroom, so they are excelling at certain things, um, writing being one of them, you know, and so they're they are the leaders of the classroom and the oldest of the classroom and you can tell oh my gosh you can tell when you're in observing Mm -hmm. which child is ready to move (laughs) on (laughs) and even based on their social skills like their communication skills it's like okay they can take it in the elementary classroom um so timing of that sensitive period like we're talking about also varies depending on the child Um, This is where observation by the guide or head teacher of the classroom is critical because they take the time to identify which student is ready for which set of skills and where to start them. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a lot of work. Oh, it is so much work. And the whole record keeping component of a Montessori classroom is very intense. I have about like four documents that I use. Wow. Yeah. Um, That's cool. Yeah. So number four is the prepared environment. This is huge. Montessori method suggests that children learn best in an environment that has pre- been prepared and designed for them to be able to do things themselves. So independence in a child or it is child centered. So it promotes the freedom for them to explore the materials safely and in an inviting way. This is from the womb mm-hmm. to adulthood, prepared environment appropriate to that level. Mm-hmm. Um, And then number five, auto-education. Children are capable of educating themselves. Adults do not give them enough credit. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I have seen that. I mean, this is one of the most important beliefs of the method. Montessori teachers prepare and provide the environment, inspire and guide them, encourage them for the child to educate themselves. So those are the five principles that I would say, like, that's the Montessori theory. Okay. General. I love that so
0: much because it really does, like every student is you know really taken care of in a different way like that that teacher knows that student you know by at least by the end of the year I feel like you know Miss Sherry Connor's teacher and her assistants I feel like they're going to know Connor so much more than if he had just gone and you know no shame on wherever you take your kids to school or don't take your kids to school or however you're doing that but for us like having that attention on him and giving him that soul like he knows these people are really watching him and taking care of him and giving him what he needs and and getting to understand him on like a physical mental emotional level I feel like it's just so much more in depth than if we were to just put him in a public school where he was you know sitting at a desk all day and just told now is writing now is math now is whatever and i don't think he personally his
1: personality i don't think he would do well in a situation like that no and <laughs> no oh my gosh connor you know i have i have also in my times here at the house even at school i have been observing connor like mm-hmm. a lot and so you have done an amazing job guiding him yourself because he does have at his age level, or at his, his just level in general, uh, this certain level of discernment. So like, he knows what he needs to a a certain level and knows what he wants, you Mm -hmm. know. And so there was a situation you had mentioned to me about last week, or the week before, um, about how he he was having a tough, having a tough time saying goodbye, you know, in the morning when you had dropped him off. And Um, you know, the guide, his his teacher was like, okay, well, what do you need right now? You know, sometimes, see, that's the guiding process. Asking, do you need a snack? Would you like some water? Would you like to read a book? Like, she's giving him these options. He already has that within him. He just, sometimes you just need a helping hand. Totally,
0: yeah. That was huge for me. Like, we had talked about, like, Connor was The only one in class that day it was like we were dropping him off and he was really upset like clinging to me crying saying not to leave him and it was really hard and his teacher because in the Montessori room at least in this class there's three teachers there's one like main teacher and then you have two assistants and so his main teacher literally just like came over and she just was like with us for 10 minutes or so just figuring out like how we were going to move forward and like all of her attention was on Connor and I Mm -hmm. just I just felt so okay and good about actually leaving him even though he was so upset I was like oh my gosh like she cares she is luckily in this environment where she can just be like oh Connor needs me and I'm going to focus in on that right now and the fact that she was like you know, he to know that he was free to be like, yeah, I do want a snack right now, even though it's not snack time, quote unquote, in our mm-hmm. schedule. Or, I do, you know, that freedom was just like, oh, he's okay. You yeah, know, he's totally. going to be okay here. Like, she's got it, which meant so much to me. And so I, I was able, to, you know, and then after class when we came back and she showed me pictures and stuff and it was really nice. It was yeah. really comforting for me to see how much... Um, flexibility there was and like and the respect part where it's like you know what do you need what are we gonna do to help you start to feel better and feel a little more comfortable how can we do that together coping
1: yeah the adult is in the experience with the child they are doing it together that's where a bond is also solidified like I am here to help you yeah you know totally it's amazing totally so you had mentioned the environment
0: how, how is the environment of a Montessori classroom different than just like a traditional school classroom?
1: So it is very different. Um, and it also sometimes it depends on the Montessori school, for example, when I say that, I mean, Um, Private Montessori school versus public Montessori school. Mm -hmm. I am in a public school that has a Montessori program like within it. So it's the funding that's really different. Yeah. Um, Now, the private school I worked at before had a bathroom in two bathrooms, a boys and a girls bathroom in the Montessori in the elementary classroom, I should say, in a public school, most times now in the preschool room that Connor's in, they have a bathroom inside the classroom. Yeah, which is so great. The, and there's a whole design component to that too. Um, that is to promote independence. The child does not have to take a pass or have an adult go with them down the hall to go to the bathroom. They're preschools, pre, ugh, preschoolers. So they, some of them, this is their first time going to like an organized, yeah. or like an organization. Yeah. Um, so, with that said, um, the difference back to the focus, the difference between a monastery classroom and traditional. In a Montessori classroom, um, the room is filled with concrete materials, so manipulatives. Um, That is where you start the child with any concept. Um, So the operations, for example, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division is all started on concrete materials with manipulatives. And there is a transition period over into the abstract paper method. So... That is the majority of what the classroom is comprised of, and that is why there are so many shelves. You'll see a lot of shelves in a Montessori classroom. Mm-hmm. The Montessori classroom is a combination of, like, a home setting, an art studio, a lab for science experiments. It is it is an all-in-one deal. I, I don't know if I mentioned art studio, but yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is. There's a lot happening. You can have children working with clay over here on a model. You can have children writing. Some children will be on a computer. Some will be with materials on the floor, on tables. Um, the height of the tables, they vary as well. Some children prefer working on the floor, but not with a table. Some with a table on the floor, and some with a chair on you know a higher at their level um, surface. So in a traditional classroom, each child has their own desk. Now, so a lot of traditional classrooms have evolved. Some teachers really want to make it as um, collaborative as possible. So they'll have group tables. But mostly, everybody has their own table, their own set of supplies. Right. And there's, like, paper curriculum only. I mean, yeah. I have not seen manipulatives. You draw things out and everything to kind of give you visuals and certain math concepts or whatever it may be. But it's nothing like a, a monastery, monastery environment. room, Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing is the supplies. Like we traditionally, I mean, a Montessori guide can design it any way they'd like to. If you want your children to have individual um, supplies, like pencils, rulers, markers, crayons, whatever it may be, that's great. But I have a community supply. So nobody has their own individual anything. It's all like equal. I don't even have special markers and pens and things like that. Mm-hmm. I use what the children use. So we all have an equal opportunity to create. hmm So I hope that painted a good picture of. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Like in my classroom, another thing, I have art all over my walls. I have a big community rug where we have community meeting each week. Um, And I don't see a lot of that happening in traditional classrooms. There are a lot of charts and really educational things on on the walls, which deter the child from doing their own research and from them delving in and creating their own knowledge and perception of what that concept is. It's just being told to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: Montessori classrooms are, from what I've seen, even just like in the school and then like photos in in the books and stuff, like they're beautiful. They're so just they are so pleasing Mm -hmm. to the eye you walk in and you're like oh my goodness this is so nice yes (laughs) you know it's cozy it's cozy it's cozy and some Montessori's like if I'm not mistaken they're legitimately like in homes right yes yeah some are it's supposed to be like a second home like literally
1: it is actually literally that's part of like the method or the philosophy as well um that is your second home you can go in and if you feel hungry and if you feel like eating a snack well you can have snack if you feel thirsty go get yourself some water you don't ask my students do not ask me if they can have snack or have a drink of water or even go to the bathroom because systems and procedures are set in place from day one for however long that needs to be drilled Mm -hmm. like just the system of how do we do this and again I do that the design is to promote their independence like so they're not dependent on me when they have to go to the bathroom or have a drink of water like you self-construct and develop that within yourself that discernment like oh I'm thirsty not when I tell you you can have a drink (laughs) yeah you know (laughs) like that's terrible yeah totally totally yeah
0: and I remember being like a young child at a traditional school and sitting in my desk and just being like you know I want to stand up like I've been sitting here for a long time I just wish I could stand up and stretch or like I I need to go to the bathroom but I'm raising my hand and nobody's answering my hand raise and it's just feels so I did not do well with that like I I was not meant for traditional school and I quickly found my art school where I went yeah. for middle school and high school for you know where there was a new sense of like freedom and independence and And respect. It wasn't a Montessori program, but it definitely was not traditional school, which I just, it was not for me. And I knew when I had a baby, I was like, once he was around and I could see who he was, I was just like, he's, that's not going to work. He's not going to flourish in a place like that. I know
1: I didn't. Sean didn't. Sean went to other schools too. It's not natural. Yeah, it's not natural. This standardized mass education of people hasn't even been around for that long. Yeah. I, I wanna say, and you know, don't quote me here, but I wanna say that the monastery method is older than that. I mean and it is prevailing. Like it is right. still Yeah. It's happening. <laughs> yeah, and it's totally flourishing and yeah. more and more you know, parents
0: I think are seeing the importance and the benefits of using a program like Montessori or Waldorf or whatever, you know, unschooling and whatever else there is. But I yeah, I definitely think it's great that for one, that like like you said, you work in a public school but they have Montessori programs inside of it, which is so cool, you know, like how accessible is that for people? Way, Way more a- accessible.
1: Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but that was, that's a huge deal Yeah, for, um, we are a title one school. That's like, you know, we need funds Um, (laughs) in other words, but that's how I always feel like in the back of my head. But, but the thing is, um, these children all equal, it's all equal. Everybody has access to this method and education. That's huge. They don't have to now preschool. That's at the state level, that's right. different. So there is some sort of, you know, fee that you pay monthly. But once you get into the public education, you know, the K through 8 or K through 12, I should say, it is free. And I'm like, wow, I, yeah. I could not believe it. So I'm honored to be a teacher in under like the public school system because I'm going to continue this and
0: yeah,
1: and and hope that it grows.
0: Yeah, I think it will. I really do think it will. So then how did you um, get into all of this? Like, how did you become a Montessori teacher? How did you make it your career? What happened?
1: Well, I knew, I, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I know that sounds crazy. People say that, but, um, really I had a special something when it came to kids, even while I was a child with younger children. Um, I would always watch cousins and, you know, siblings and things. And, um, come up with activities to do together and I was just natural. I was just naturally good with them. They confided in me. So even from a young age, a lot of relatives told me like, oh, you'd be a great teacher. But, um, you know, my parents always discouraged me from the career because I wouldn't make a lot of money. So Mm -hmm. I convinced, I was convinced under that, that, oh, I should pursue other careers. Well, I'd be great. I'm a great caretaker. I should be a nurse. Mm -hmm. So here I am, here I was in nursing school. Oh, Mm -hmm. pre pre pre-nursing And then um, I was about to start the program when right before I had the opportunity to go live in Macedonia and work in Macedonia. So I was like out of the academic world. I took some Spanish (laughs) online because I said to myself, I really want to learn Spanish and I think it'll be helpful. Anyway, uh, long story short, I found myself in Florence in Italy. And I had met this uh, woman. I, I was just traveling along with this group of women. We were all doing the same thing. We were just wanting to explore. And I had asked her what she was doing. And um, she said she was a teacher. And she traveled. Like, she was from Latvia. Mm-hmm. And she was a teacher in Florence. And I'm like, wow, how did that happen? I mean, who has enough money to do that? It's always like this money-focused, yeah. you know, sort of making sure I can be independent. And so after long conversations and late nights, uh, she said, you know, I I know that you're going to go back whenever you do go back um, to the U.S. and you're you're going to be a teacher. Um, You can be a teacher. And I had talked to her about Montessori because I had been looking um, into different teaching programs. Mm -hmm. I said, gosh, how can I be a traveling teacher? Mm -hmm. So AMI is the International Montessori um, Association and... Once you become certified uh, as an AMI teacher, you can teach at any Montessori school in the world. So when I came back from all my worldly travels, here I am in Arizona, I found um, a Montessori school here. And um, I was hired as an assistant. And I said, all right, let's do this. Um, and the, the guides at that school had mentioned to me, they said, wow, Kate, you, um, you really have a natural take to the Montessori method. And we we're not saying that to, you know, pump you full of sunshine. <laughs> In other words, we're saying that because like, maybe you should pursue getting your training and becoming a guide because you just, I say one thing and you're already doing it you know, at, at guiding me as an assistant with the children. The way you move about the classroom, the way you speak to them, you're at eye level, it's just, you've got it. So I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I've got it. <laughs> um, so um, then I, I entered into the uh, education program at ASU, and um, I said, after I get my undergrad in education, I'm going to pursue my master's in Montessori education. I didn't know that this was even possible. <laughs> in the States Mm -hmm. because again it's very like I feel like standardized education sometimes overpowers these but when I found out there's overpowers like Montessori method and and schools when I found out it was under a public school I said all right this is the inn get my foot in the door yeah and here I am I'm finishing my undergrad um I am a Montessori teacher but I'm also getting my training at the same time official training I Mm -hmm. should say um So that's kind of how I got into it. (laughs) Cool. So do you ever have, you know,
0: teach or not teachers, um, parents who think that, you know, there's not enough structure or something like that where they're like, you know, my kids are just running around and it looks like, you know, they're not really learning anything. They can choose whatever they want to learn. So are they just going to focus on, you know, this one thing because that's what they like all year and you're not going to teach them anything else? Or like, how does that work? There's some challenge to
1: that, too. Um, So I'm going to go public school, private Montessori for a moment and say if you're in a public school. So also, first of all, the reason why we're even able to be in a public school is because the Montessori curriculum aligns with the state standards. We okay. meet we meet those standards right um, in fact, by grade level we go beyond. there mm-hmm. are children studying biology like in my room and geography and all sorts of different subjects that um, I introduce them to. Now some parents um, will go into a traditional room and the children are quiet and the children are working because they have no other choice mm-hmm. you know it's a classroom, doesn't need to be absolutely silent and quiet and completely I mean a monastery room may seem chaotic but there is order in the room Mm-hmm. The children work around themselves. There's someone playing tone bars, someone playing the Glockenspiel, and, and there's work. There's concentrated work happening, and right. I have music going too. Like you know, yeah. um, the only thing I don't like is the pencil sharpener. It's very loud and distracting. <laughs> so many parents um, object to the Montessori method because they believe there isn't enough structure. That is true. Um, so systems and procedures are put into place from the very first day of school. Um, The guide I learned from taught me to strictly follow the child in their curiosities. This means if the child wants to write all day, let them write. If the child wants to do math all day, let them. And if the child wants to play music and study music, we let them. The one-size-fits-all approach does not make sense. What I mean by all that is, and when I say follow the child, that is truly what it means. Now, in a private school, they don't follow the state standards, They don't. They follow the the Montessori curriculum and the Montessori method like to the T all the way. There are certain things we have to meet because in public schools because at the end of the day, there's going to be a standardized test at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So uh, test-taking strategies have to be implemented and things like that to prepare the child. That's not to say that's not authentic Montessori because an authentic Montessori environment is adaptable and you adapt to what you work with what you have. It still is Montessori because when I first entered the public school sector, I said to myself, well, this isn't authentic. We can't just like do what we want all day. You know, (laughs) we have to do certain things. Um, now when I say the one size does not fit all approach, I mean, if a child is drawn towards mathematics or music, I'm just using these as an example. What if that child like grows up to work in the music field and, make a huge discovery or work in math and make a huge discovery or become an innovator. And, and, and again, they're on the cusp or on the verge of something massive that can help humans and help us and just help the world. Like that is my job as a guide is to support that Mm -hmm. and it's huge. And that sounds, it might sound crazy, for some parents because I said, no, they need a well-rounded education. Sure, they'll get a well-rounded ed- education because there's something in Montessori also that's called cosmic education and it is like kind of like crossing with the subjects. In math, you're also writing so you can incorporate English language arts. Here in the States, English language arts. In um, music, you're also writing. You write music. So there's a language there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I fully support that. If I had full reigns, so, I didn't work in the public sector. I would not I would completely entirely follow a child without hesitation mm-hmm. because they'd be you'd be guiding them in their passion, and who knows where they'll go the the world is their oyster,
0: yeah, <laughs> you know, totally, totally, yeah, I think that that makes sense, like people are drawn to whatever it is that they really I believe are supposed to do, you know, like I thoroughly believe that your desires are showing you your purpose. So if you can start from the very beginning to be like, you know, oh, this is what you're drawn to. Let's see why, you know, like let's focus in on that and let's let that flourish and let's nurture
1: that desire and see where it takes you. Truly, you know. Um yeah, I mean I I understand the systematic standardized mass education, but Let's say you have a Montessori child that studied a certain subject, and and they went to a traditional middle school, traditional high school, and then here they are in college. I mean, tell me one person you know with like, maybe not one, a few that you know with you know a college university education that is actually working and progressing in their field of study and can articulate and be an expert in their field of study. Mm-hmm. It not very many. Yeah. Not very money. So yeah. they... You know, unless you're a doctor, you go to a trade school, something with a license, a degree associated with a license, and, like, you need the expertise there. Yeah. But you have, like, degrees, like, communications and not knocking anything. Right. Because there's a reason. There's a method to the madness. Yeah. You're in society. You have your degree. You can get a higher-paying job, etc. I get it. Mm-hmm. But there's something special about following the child. It really is. I think so, too. I think
0: so, too. So we... Um, often joke about how Montessori is like the Mysore room of education yes (laughs) can you maybe like dive into a little bit of I guess we kind of are talking about that you know that like in the same way that we use the Mysore room as a way to look at the individual yoga student and see where they are and how we can um, speak to them and teach them in a way that they can hear and understand and move forward from
1: Yes. So I I was wondering if you were picking up on this as we were talking a little bit um, deeper <laughs> about the Montessori method and the environment, because I don't remember the day, but I did, it was one morning I was at practice and I said to myself, wow, you know, I'm this, I'm studying and I'm, uh, this is my career, Montessori and education and everything. And then I am uh, also a Mysore student. So I'm practicing. And one day I woke up and I said, wow, this is, Like, it is the Mysore of Education because in Mysore, we start practicing, you know, primary series, but we're not doing the whole full-blown primary series from day one. Mm -hmm. Um, We start, like... First, the teacher observes you. Yeah. What do I do in the Montessori classroom when I have a new group of students? I observe them. I mean, heavily. Yeah. When I first started here with my sort, Sean just watched me. He gave me a certain amount to do, and then he said, "Okay, we're building her conditioning up." What do I do the first few weeks of school? I start building the environment so that the student can independently, individually go through all of their areas. For example, I have a system for spelling words and vocabulary words, and I have a system for math facts, okay, and how to learn math facts. And by the way, the kids are not totally scarred by the way I do math facts <laughs> because I, I was totally scarred. Because every Friday we would have a time test, and it's like, man, you better know your, yeah. your, your, four, table, your four times... You know, everything, table. Um, so anyway, they have fun. They have a lot of fun with it. So the first few weeks, I set them up for success by doing that. Then I can release them and they independently do their own. And then I add on mm-hmm. slowly but surely. Then I can step away and I can say, okay, next week I'm going to give her this lesson. I'm going to give him this lesson. And I'm going to group them based on ability. Mm-hmm. In my SOAR, you are given poses by your teacher as they see that you're ready to move on to the next yeah thing exactly you know and and they say you've built up I mean gosh I could go on about it <laughs> in different poses that I've seen just it's like parallel yeah isn't it I know I think that's so cool And it's probably why I was drawn to Montessori and why you were drawn to Mysore <laughs> yep absolutely we're like totally it gives me goosebumps sometimes mm-hmm. think about it because we're on the different both ends yeah and You know, it is also uh, another thing I want to emphasize on. It is uh, the natural way to learn. It's like this natural, it like inspires this sort of curiosity about yourself Mm -hmm. and within yourself in a Montessori classroom. um, And kind of the goal, you know, for, for the child is to build discernment within themselves and to self-construct yeah they learn the way their way yeah in Mysore with ashtanga but in particular and and i love talking about it this way because a lot of people have this misconception about ashtanga yoga yeah and i i'm just like (laughs) i'm over here like hey i practice this is my practice not judging you for your other practices but it is it is it hard work yes yeah is a montessori environment like is there hard work involved Absolutely, because a child becomes frustrated. Sometimes mm-hmm. they can't get a certain concept, or they need a little extra push, or they're discovering this knowledge. And and you know, it's like, oh gosh, I got some spelling words wrong. Oh gosh, I didn't. I probably could have done this in that pose in mm-hmm. yoga. Yeah, you know. So that's where there's just such similarities. That's why I think I found it's like I'm reliving education is when I started Mysore. And it like sometimes it brings me to tears. It's like a very intimate practice for me because um, the first time around experiencing grade school was a nightmare in in all honesty. Hmm. I mean, you have to do math now. You have to do writing now. You have to do reading now. And you have to excel or else you're garbage.
0: Yeah, (laughs) totally. I remember getting so much anxiety when I was little having to do these tests that were like, Going to tell everyone whether I was good enough to move on or what was, you know, like it was very stressful. Right. And I'm like,
1: you know, I'm like eight. (laughs) Yes. I know. And it's like we're testing for gifted and talented. Yeah. Which and it's like, okay, so you put certain ideas in the kid's head too. Yeah. And so so in in the Montessori environment, like you want to guide and help the child build confidence in what they're doing and they have certainty in themselves and so they have optimism and so they can move on to something independently in Mysore it's similar yeah i practice this practice and these skills and now i have the confidence now i have the confidence to go into headstand yeah. like i was wobbly before but you notice things that come up and then you build within yourself. Yeah. Now, I build and and you're just so much more in touch with your body and how you move, how yeah. you move. Because not everybody is made for every single pose. Right. You totally. can practice and practice and, and maybe and that's not the goal anyway. Right. Of not course. everybody's made for every single subject. I mean, Yeah, totally.
0: <laughs> totally. No, I totally agree. Do you find that um this is just a little off topic, but do you sure. find that there's like you know, in in traditional school, we've always sort of been told like, oh, boys are better at math and girls are better at English. Do you see that? In is
1: that real? I do not see that. You don't. Mm-mm. Hmm. I did not buy boys and girls bathroom passes. I bought the neutral ones. No, but um, really, really though, I was shopping genuinely. That's a side note on Amazon for bathroom passes for them. But anyway. Um, Absolutely not. And I was amazed. Let me tell you, the first day of school, well, the first couple of weeks of school, and we're only now starting week four. So I'm still bonding with the children. But I would ask them, I'd say, okay, raise your hand if you love math. More than half the class raised their hand. and. Every single girl in my room raised their hand. I was kind of astonished. I hated math. Oh, yeah, me too. For the longest time. Now I have the opportunity to relearn these math concepts yeah. and share that with them. Yeah. So, and boys, I have authors. <laughs> yes, seriously. I have this one who actually, go. he was uh, Miss Sherry's student, Aww. and he goes back to that classroom to read the children's stories. Oh, cute. Yeah, so he like, he'll like go visit and that's a whole nother aspect of the monastery room is having all age groups and environments blended in each other's classrooms. But I didn't get to that. Um, (laughs) so, so yes, that whole boys with math, girls with English thing is like not a thing in my room at least. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that in other monastery environments as well. Yeah. That's cool. I love that. It's just so like individuals see the child for
0: who they are as they are right now. It's yeah. ju- just like yoga, just like my sort.
1: Really? And when you start, just to add to, when yeah. you, when you start learning math, uh, math concepts with concrete um, ma- materials that you can literally see what is happening in that concept, Yeah, that, gosh, that builds just a different foundation for you. Oh, yeah. So when you move on to pen and paper or pencil paper, I should say, um, it's like, oh yeah, this is what we're doing. We're just writing it down. Yeah,
0: Totally. So then what does an activity, like, what do the activities look like? Like, what do you have lesson plans? What does a lesson plan look like in your Montessori room?
1: It's not conventional. So um, lesson plans, when when a guide goes through Montessori training um, and certification, they put together, and I will be putting together, um, my albums, which are the lesson plans. These are, there's, it depends on the training that you get on the training program because there's AMS, which is only in the U.S. It's Montessori, but it's only within the U.S. Mm -hmm. And then AMI, which is international, which is the one I prefer. Um, So my mentor this year, um, I get to peruse her albums and use them for my lessons as help. Um, And so, for example, I'll say okay, I'm going to start this group of children on division. We're going to, the first lesson, so the material that I really love to use, you can use several, or a couple, but I like to use something called racks and tubes. And um, there are beads in the tubes, and the tubes are set in place just to kind of build you a visual into racks, and you have pegboards. And essentially what you're doing is showing them division, that division is sharing you're lit you're sharing um and you're dividing so you have the dividend and the divisor so the first lesson is just familiarizing them with the material Mm -hmm. and a lesson plan could consist of several lessons from like introductory to okay this child has now mastered this concept and now we can transition over to abstract pencil paper so the first one is familiarizing themselves so everything in Montessori like in math as far as the families um of numbers is consistent. So you have units, tens, hundreds, thousands, 10,000s, thousands, 100,000, millions, 10 millions, 100 millions and billions. That's every math. So, I mean, there are students hmm. doing um division problems like well into the millions. That's hmm. crazy. Yeah. I never is, did that in elementary no, school. Me either. <laughs> I'm like, "All right, great. We can move on to decimals and fractions then and you're a fourth grader and like We can move on to algebra before you leave my room. Wow. Delve into geometry. Great. Let's prep you for middle school. Mm -hmm. So as far as a lesson plan goes, it starts from that introductory. And then I show the child the material. I check to make sure they understand how to read the numbers on the material. If it's a math material. Okay. Then we move on for the next week. The way I do it is I assign their follow-up work. Um, they can choose what their follow-up work is. I often ask them, I'm like, how do you think that you could learn this material so that in one week when I give you the next lesson that goes after this one, you'd, you're able to start that next lesson. Like you're up to speed and you've mastered this one. And they'll tell me. They'll say, well, I think I should work with this material. It really is what it is. Nothing on paper to turn into you. And I'm like, great. So mm-hmm. I trust that in one week and that's where they build themselves. That's that self-construction. Right. Yeah. So... They do that the week after they come back. Now we're gonna learn how to divide dividend by one digit uh, divisor, okay? So then we set up a problem on the board and then we do the operation. Um,
0: with those same materials?
1: Yep, with okay. those same materials. So now they know the names of the different materials, the where, where they set up their dividend, where they set up their divisor, um, and we just go on into the operation. No pencil, paper nothing we're just strictly manipulatives that's cool and it sounds like it also it really does give the student
0: the ability to like see how they work you know like Mm -hmm. to really start to understand like you were saying sort of curiosity of self like okay how are you going to be able to understand this what do you need to do to make this work for you and then they can be like well I'm going to work, you know, I'm going to be able to figure this out best if I do it this way. Where, you know, like, the next student might be like, no, that's not going to work for me. I need to do it, you know, this way. Yes. Right?
1: But they're discovering that. Yeah. In elementary school, when a teacher gave me a lesson, and this was whole group lesson, mind you, I have three to five children at a time when I, that I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. Ne- it's hardly ever a whole group lesson. If it is, um, it just depends on the subject. Core subjects like math and English language arts, um, I... I group based on ability. So I have fourth graders with sixth graders in a, in a traditional elementary environment where it is ages six to age 12, I could have a six year old with a 10 year old, for example, Mm -hmm. in the same math lesson. Mm -hmm. So those I tend to really, um, group based on ability more so than like a history subject or a biology lesson, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, it really, it depends. So that's what a lesson would look like. Um, So that's every week, you know, over the weekend or on Fridays for the next week, I just group children. Mm -hmm. And then for me, since I am training this year still, I learn the, I mean, I've learned these concepts once in my life, right? So I just need to be shown, really, I need to be shown one time, I take my notes, and then I'm prepared to deliver the lesson the next day.
0: Cool. Oh, I love that. It's so neat. Okay, so then how can parents start to implement Montessori principles into their home and like you know, can they use this Montessori method as a homeschool curriculum? Is there any sort of, um, resources that you would recommend if someone wanted to start doing my, or my <laughs> see Montessori?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Um, I always tell parents you can start from the womb. They are, it starts all in there. And so I had, um, a teacher at the private Montessori school that I worked at. She was fantastic. Um, she scared me at first because she was so um, in tune with the children and, and it was all so child led, follow the child. I was an outsider who didn't know really anything about the Montessori way or method. And so I would come in kind of traditional Mm -hmm. and she said, no, you, you can't say certain things because Mm -hmm. that gives them certain impressions and it's, that's, they, that's with them for the rest of their life. And so I'm like, I didn't think it was bad, but I see where she's coming from. So she worked with someone in San Diego. She received her certification, uh, someone named Dr. Montanaro. And Dr. Montanaro worked closely with Maria Montessori. Um, she wrote a book called Understanding the Human Being. And the cover has a baby on it. Um, and it, it, she talks about from the womb to, you know, throughout childhood. And it is like a child development sort of book. So I recommend to parents, if you are wanting to be a parent or um, if you're already a parent, read that book. Um, Also, parents like themselves need to be open to Mm -hmm. (laughs) to the Montessori way, because a lot of times. You know, we want to tell the child that this is the way, mm-hmm. but in order for them to build confidence and to self-construct, we need to have, we need to give them more credit and trust that they are building the way Yeah. and guide them along the way. You know, you have to, you're so much more in tuned, really the Montessori way. There are lots of resources out there. Um, You can link, if you'd like, um, some titles to books. I mean, Maria Montessori wrote several books. The Absorbent Mind by Maria Montessori and then Understanding the Human Being by Dr. Montanaro is where I would start as far as reading material. Um, I did find, because in the past parents have asked me as well, well, gosh, how do I design my home Mm -hmm. um, in like a Montessori way? Yeah. What I will say is never use a crib, always use a low bed. (laughs) 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 That's my first... um, when I when I first worked in a monastery environment, I did start in the neato room. The Nido room is the infant room. The kids start going to school at three months old. Hmm. And you literally do exactly what the child, like you follow the child. If the child is hungry, you feed them whenever they need to be fed. If they're tired and sleepy, you help them, you pat them to sleep. I mean, all the way. Mm-hmm. They see that you are being receptive and accepting to that. So then they start to trust you and build a secure bond mm-hmm. with the adults in their life. so they, they can have trust. Yeah. That's massive. Yeah. Um, so making your home kid-friendly, having all of the you know um, outlets covered, of course. I, some people like to use the term baby-proofing. But, and it's really for them to be able to touch and explore everything in their environment. Everything at their reach should be safe. Yeah. Um, low shelves I, I mean I could really design like an, an infant's room and I can't wait to design my own <laughs> um, because I've helped um, I worked with toddlers like in the toddler classroom for a while so uh, y- learning how to use the toilet I don't really like to use the term potty training or toilet training because it's like no they're just learning how to use the toilet in that classroom at the official school I worked at, there was a low toilet. And so toddlers, Mm -hmm. I mean, they couldn't say words, but they could go use the toilet themselves, (laughs) like like, amazing. So things like that, the reason for the low bed versus the crib, when you place a child in a crib, it messes with the blind spots of their vision and with their vision in general because of the bars. Mm. Not only that, like they can't freely move in their environment. You have a low bed, so what if they roll off the bed? It's fine. Yeah. You don't have anything that's going to endanger them. Like, they are allowed to get up out of their bed, little bed whenever they want to. Yeah. Not whenever they're crying, screaming, blooding murder for you, where yeah. it's way past the point of frustration and yeah. sometimes trauma. Yeah, totally. Totally. 100%. So. Yeah. So just to give you kind of a, I mean, I kind of went all over the place with that, but it, because it starts so early on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And like I said, um, to this episode, you can attach yeah whatever links, yeah resources and things. Yeah, definitely,
0: I'll have books and I don't know, maybe websites or something too. Um, that's yeah, I love that. Like you want the child to feel like they, you're fostering independence, right? Like you're trying to get them mm-hmm. to like I've seen videos of like one and a half year olds two-year-olds cutting their own vegetables and making themselves a snack and washing their dishes afterward and like it's so amazing I wish I wish I could have done that with Connor and I I didn't and now like I you know we're working on it now for sure and he makes food with me all the time and stuff but but like it's incredible what they can actually do if we if we make that environment
1: available to them. They're watching your every move. They do what you do. They're learning, literally absorbing. Um, In the toddler classroom, I had the toddlers that were close to age three, where they were going to transition into the primary classroom, I had them in charge of snack. They weren't (laughs) even saying full sentences, and they can put the placemats down because that's how they learn like where you place your fork, your uh, drink, your plate, this, that, and the other. They handle glass. Oh my God. At, yeah. at under age one, they handle glass. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah Drinking well, you, out of no sippy anything. Yes. Just a cup, a glass mm-hmm. cup or, yep. you know, a little mini Mason jar as we do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so it's incredible what they can do. I had them organizing snack. I had I had children uh, putting together flower arrangements for the week to make the environment beautiful. Mm. And they would arrange, and they would put the flower arrangements at every workspace. They knew what to do. Yeah. And this specific child, I am so proud of her, and I love her so much, and I miss her because she's not at my school right now. She had a learning disability, an intellectual disability, and she was totally functional and and with it. That's awesome. We just gave her the chance, and and... And believed in her.
0: Yeah, and then she saw that you know she could believe in herself and do what she needed to do
1: to move forward. Yes, know? in the Nita room, I'll share one more thing. I mean, yeah. if I could, there I have a lot of experiences. But before I changed, di- I mean, I've changed many diapers in my life. But <laughs> but before I was doing it professionally, right for work. Yeah. I said to myself, and I said to the guy, I said, you know. There's something that's... There's, like, a missing piece for me here. Like, I am not asking you how to change the the diaper, but, like, this is a child who doesn't know me, mm-hmm. and I don't want them to think I'm violating them. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, really important for me. And that's that's the one of the first guides to tell me, you really shouldn't consider being a Montessori teacher because that is before you even change, a, you know, this is what we say. So you you walk the child through what you're doing they know what you're and they know where your intentions coming from they see your eyes they see your facial expressions your striations everything and even even um how you take their diaper off how you wipe them down and clean them and how you put their new diaper and new clothes back on Mm -hmm. it should be a pleasant experience like you're okay do you hear your diaper i'm taking your diaper off okay i'm wiping and then you do state the parts like because mm-hmm. that is what you're wiping. Yeah. You know, okay, just one more. I know it might be painful because a lot of them have rashes. Aww. I know it might be, and they're crying and crying and crying. Aww. I understand, I understand your frustration, but I need, I'm just trying to help you, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you walk them through the whole process because you're part of that experience with them. And you're, again, building that secure attachment, building that bond, that trust. This adult helped me because I needed help. Yeah. I have
0: also heard of Montessori teachers like, asking their one and two year olds like is it okay if i pick you up for
1: a minute and i'll move you over here yes
0: instead of just like picking a kid up i love
1: that you notice that a lot of times if i'm not if i don't have like a, a relationship already established with that child and i know their boundaries limits lines everything absolutely my students even right now i mean i'm only four weeks in but i'll ask them sometimes because i'll see them motioning towards a hug they love hugs mm-hmm. but i'll ask them oh would you would you like or i'll ask them would you like to give me a hug you can
0: yeah um
1: and i will ask them like if i want to just like squeeze them because they're so cute or something i'll yeah. ask them and some say no and i'm like cool that's cool
0: yeah
1: i just went to a close friend's um her daughter's birthday party yesterday she just turned two and she calls me aunt kate and um I said I asked her. I said, "Can I take a picture with you for your birthday?" And she goes, "Not now, but maybe later." Oh, she she's full <laughs> of language, yeah. And I just cracked up, but I respected that. I said, "Yeah, she's eating her snack. She doesn't want to sit here and pose for a picture with me. That's fine." Yeah, totally. I love that. I, I mean, love that too. I mean, it makes the experience of like parenthood so much smoother. Yeah, totally. I see a lot of parents frustrated sometimes with the whole yeah. process, and I'm just like, yeah, take
0: a breath. <laughs> totally, yeah. Yeah, and with Connor, too, like, sometimes someone will just want to, like, hold him or squeeze him or give him a kiss or play with him and stuff, and I can just tell that, like, he doesn't really want to right now, and, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, oh, do I say something or do I let Connor, like, deal with with it this person? Because I know that technically he's safe or do it, you know what I mean? And it just depends on the moment sure. whether I say something or I don't for the most part, but... Um, But it's just, yeah, it's so interesting how we just, as adults, we kind of are just like, okay, I'm going to pick this kid up now and move him over here. I'm going to, it's like, no, that's an actual person, though, who has feelings and boundaries and, like, you need to respect that in a a way like they're just a little person, you know? They're still a person, though.
1: Yeah. And
0: to, like, notice that and realize that I think is so important because I do see a lot of times, like, this lack of understanding of they have emotions that need to be met and understood and respected too. Yeah. And the child has
1: preferences. Yeah, exactly. Just because they don't have the language, they still do. You can tell. And it's very simple. Yeah. I pick up the child, I move them here and they start crying. Mm -hmm. Clearly they don't want to be put over there or or you just broke their concentration. Like Mm -hmm. that infuriates me. And it starts from infancy. Yeah, because,
0: like, even, like, when Connor is playing with his toys, if I have to leave or something, sometimes I just go. Because I'm, like, he's in his thing. I don't want to break that and then leave. Like, he's fine. He's going to be fine when he gets out of his play that he's doing and realize that someone else is there. Like, he'll be okay. You know, instead of, like... Going over and breaking everything up and giving him a hug and a kiss and whatever, like, while I would want to do that. (laughs) I know, of course. But, like, if he's in the zone, I don't, you know, just let him be because it's so important for them to get in that zone.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's the flow, the whole flow zone. I think of that in Mysore too. Like when you're in your practice and you literally don't see anyone near you and you don't hear anything literally except for like your movement, your breath, your, that is like, I've never experienced ultimate concentration before in practice.
0: Yeah, and then imagine if someone's like, hey, hey, wait, come here for a second. Let me give you a hug goodbye. Oh, I would be...
1: bye. uh, Yeah, I would be so annoyed. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So it's like when a kid does get frustrated, I'm like, yeah, you go. Yeah. Express that frustration. Totally,
0: right? Like, or you're like you're working on an essay or something and you're totally like getting this good part of it. And then someone comes along and
1: is dinner's like, ready. Yeah, okay. Like,
0: just hold on. <laughs> yeah. Give me a second. I'll be there. Yeah. Totally. So then, um, you've been calling, te- you know, Montessori teachers guides. Mm-hmm. Can you sort of, and I feel like we have, you know, alluded to what that means and why we do that, but can you just maybe touch Uh-oh. on that for a
1: minute? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, just that I've been calling like Montessori teachers' guides. Um, yeah. We are guiding the processes and guiding the child's interests and curiosities um, because they are children. They are discovering some things for the very first time. Right. And so, um, for example, the way the shelves are designed sometimes on my biology shelf, I have a microscope. And I have maybe some slides with like some plant cells um, and maybe some books, but not too many. Because if you just give them everything they need, they'll never find it on their own. Hmm. So you're just guiding them to an introductory of like whatever that subject is. And then they further on, they discover now on their journey of discovering you know, and the world around them. Let's say they're like, oh, I'm really interested in biology. I want to go. I want to delve deeper into this. They might ask you, well, Miss Kate, what's in it? how do I start? Where do I start mm-hmm. here? So that is where I step in and I give them this lesson that introduces them to the Five Kingdoms or the plant cell, the animal cell. And I'll show them the kind of the different parts. But again, not too much information. And that is intentional. And you say, oh, you know what? Gosh, I didn't finish this maybe you could help me finish it. Maybe you could help me finish this material. Sometimes on purpose, I will not finish an informational booklet. Well, we call them nomenclature booklets um, and three-part cards where the three-part cards are the image or the visual of the subject, the content. And then you have... um, like the content written in words and then you have a label and they go those three parts go together and they're out of order in a box and the child places them where they need to go so you give them that language and that terminology through the lesson now they're studying the foundation of whatever subject it is and then they go that's where the guide comes in because mm-hmm. um, you're not necessarily teaching them every single detail and every single little crevice of that subject yeah but let's say they're deep in their research and they're like oh man you know Something now you through observation, (laughs) the guide watches and is like, okay, now they are ready to put this together in a research format, whether it's a report, whether it's a presentation. And now they may ask me or they may not, or I may just give them an idea, a little tickle of, gosh, this would be so cool for the rest of the class to see. Maybe you'd want to teach them about it. You've done a lot of research. Oh, I love that. You know, like, it's it's so... And I really... I mean, the way I'm saying it to you, I really say it in the classroom. <laughs> you know, like, I'm very inspired by their, yeah, like, work. Yeah. So. I love that. I love how you say,
0: you know, you're not giving them too much information. Because we do that, too, as yoga teachers. You know, like, it it's just like that, too. Especially in the Mysore room, I feel like there is this level of giving them just enough to start them off but then allowing them to explore that within themselves and find the answer in a way within themselves and dig deeper in their own way and you know it's all just so parallel. It it really, really is. So cool. Yeah. I love that. Me too. So okay, this has been so great. Is there anything else that you just wanna like add or close off for the listeners that you really want them to know or hear?
1: Gosh, I don't really know. That's a, that's a big one at the end there. <laughs> um, if you've ever been curious about Montessori, um, it is I, – I just – again, no judgment towards any other educational path you choose, but it is so the way, in my opinion, because it really just follows the natural way to learn, and um, following the child is really – they're able to just build themselves up uh, so much independently. My gosh. Um, so if you're wherever you are in the world um, search up you know the Montessori programs in public school sectors and make their numbers grow and sign your children up and put them on that wait list because they'll eventually call Yeah. <laughs> and at whatever point they do call keep them going um, because I would love more than anything in the world my wish is for this to go national I mean there are certain states I, I don't know if it was South Carolina I don't remember what state exactly but like their whole state goes like the Montessori way. They're cool. So slowly but surely, yeah, um, make it's it the happening. new norm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, that's that's my wish. That's what I have to leave you with. <laughs> me too. I wish that too.
0: <laughs> Sweet. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. Yes. Thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> And that's a wrap. Thank you guys so much for being here and listening to this podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe to it. Leave a nice review and give it a five-star rating so that more people can find it and I can continue to do what I'm doing here. I'll be back next week with some more health and wellness goodies for you, so stay tuned. Love you.